Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. All right, let me pray us in really fast, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this day, Father. We thank you for um, we thank you for your goodness, Father, Lord, shown to us through Jesus Christ. We thank you that. Um, God, this isn't, we don't gather together to mark on our list about just being good and, and, um, and, and just, you know, not knocking something else off the t- task list, Father Lord, but you have called your church together um, as a community, Father Lord, to be together, Father Lord. There's things you want to do through us as a body corporately. Um, you want us to love on each other, so when we are apart from each other, we're never apart from you, and we're never really apart from each other, Father, but... Um, we, we, we're here to, to exhort each other, to love each other, to point each other to Christ. Um, so this morning we come together to hear more about you, to exalt you, um, to be loved by you, Father Lord, and, uh, and to worship you um, this morning, Father. So we just thank you for being in the midst of us. We pray for grace in this sermon this morning, Father, that it goes beyond, um, you know, performing a show, being able to even you know, just do it well or whatever that even looks like. We just want to hear what you have to say this morning um, and, 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 and leave closer to, to where you are, Father. So we just praise you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. I feel like I have a lot of content this morning, and when I do, I usually talk kind of fast. So I'm going to just run my mouth this morning. So who's been inside of their uh, emotionally healthy spirituality book? Who's been in the class? Who's been reading and all that other good stuff? Throw your hands in there. Are y'all enjoying it? Is it? I don't know if y'all are enjoying it like me because my heart hurts when I say yes to that question. That book has been doing a number on me, something serious. Anybody feel like it's like digging into some deep places at all? Okay, awesome, awesome. All right, if you're in the church, let me just kind of encourage you for a minute, whatever. This week, um, we're going to be going into... Um, journey through the wall, which is the next chapter that we're in. And so if you're new here this morning, um, let me just kind of tell you what we're doing. We're in this book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. We do our discipleship on Wednesday night, but we're preaching a sermon series along with it as well. Um, so if people aren't able to make it to, you know what I'm saying, discipleship so they can actually still get a part of it through the sermon or they could just read through the book and do the workbook. So, you know, it's going to seem like we're talking about a lot of practical things, which we are, but we, um, it's all about getting us closer to Jesus Christ, right? And so let me start with this right here, right? So when we talk about the church, and we think about the church and what God has called the church to do, right? So God wants to use the church to show his glory, right? And, and then Peter says that the church is actually made of individual, like, living stones that come together and make the church. So we, we are aware the church is not the building, am I right? Right? Because we lost our building, and we was in the back of the building still having church on the playground. Y'all remember that? So the church, you know, you know, the, the issues may come, but the church still remains because the church is inside of, this is God's people who he inhabits, right? So it causes actual living stones, and Jesus Christ is our foundation. And so when we think about the church and we think about the way the church is actually attacked, the way that it's actually attacked is this, a lot of times it's, it's corporately, of course, but it's very much attacked, attacked individually. Right? And I think we all have, whether you have like church hurt or you've been in church before and kind of you just feel like the people kind of just, you know, kind of suck sometimes and you're just like, I can't, 
deal. Do you ever been there before? Or hear people that have been there before? Or experienced that before? Like one thing I think we know by now is that humans are going to be humans, am I right? And humans are sinful. Sometimes we're unaware, all of us, right? We just don't know what we just don't know, right? And, it, and, and then when we get close to other people, it rubs together and it gets kind of crazy sometimes and it causes friction. It's not the thing we want to happen. But God, nevertheless, he still has a plan for his church. And when he saves us, it doesn't just make us, we're justified in Christ, so we're his. We're his children. He adores us. He loves, he loves us. But it, does, it doesn't just make us perfect. It doesn't make all the things go away. There's still the past, and like last, the last chapter we're in, we're going to the past so you can go forward, right? We were looking back at some, you know, our old stuff, which was heavy for me, heavy for a lot of people that we've been, I've been discussing it with. We're looking, I'm looking at family stuff, and like, I just never looked at it before. I'm like, oh, I do this, and this is what I saw all my life, and I'm like, wow, this is kind of crazy, right? But God still has a plan for us. And the reason we jumped into this particular book is because we realize that in church we've learned to kind of do all of these kind of things. You know, we encourage ourselves to push through the hard seasons, but we don't deal with the emotions that are running deep inside of us and doing all kind of damage all the time. Am I right? We, don't need, we usually don't have a plan for practically approaching our emotions with the gospel. And this is why we believe this is such a monumental moment to be in this text um, and to be having these discussions in our church because I think it's gonna serve us for a long time in the health of our church. I wanna read Romans 15 to you, right? It says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written, basically, I want to I make sure that y'all understand this. I preached this a couple weeks ago. But when he says the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me, he's saying like, it's almost like this right here. Like if you go to the corner store and everybody's out there begging for money and everything else and, 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 and whatnot, if you go chill with everybody else up there, when, when your neighbors roll by and they see you, they're going to be like, oh, oh, that's who you roll with? Their reproach is going to fall on you also. So Jesus is saying, I wore your reproach, your brokenness. I let, I let that get on me. You get where I'm coming from? And so he's saying that to encourage us in bearing with the failings of the weak, right? So like instead of this whole kind of thing where we're like a Christian posture, is sometimes like ill, they're broken, let's run. He's saying those who are strong actually are encouraged to go deep. So going deep, we're going to have to go deep on emotions and go deep with reality and the truth. Y'all with me so far? All right. It says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I just want to point out something. When it says and that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is talking about this intimate relationship with God that results in us glorifying God, right? So it starts off with this idea of the strong bearing with the weak, but it's pushing us into this thing where we are growing closer in unity as we keep it real together, and it results in us actually glorifying God together. These are still people with emotions. These are still people with messed up habits. These are still people with messed up ways, but they're lavishing each other with mercy. And they're also walking in humility to be called out for their junk also and walking in the light with it. Y'all get where I'm coming from? 
So I want to paint a picture of what we're in the middle of as we go a little bit deeper. And because a lot of what we're talking about in, these, in this text and what we've been preaching through is so practical and it feels like step by step sometimes, I don't want you to get caught up in like working on just the list of stuff you're trying to accomplish, right? Like, okay, we're trying to get our emotions together. We're trying to get right before God and we're working on this list or whatever. Like God, I believe, has called us into this study right now for the purpose of drawing us closer to him. Y'all with me on that? Y'all can say something. All right, say something, I'll have us in there screaming. I'll have y'all howling all day, all right? So it's important to know that. It's important to keep that close. I, like some of us haven't had, we, it, it's just hard for us to see God as a father, right? So it's hard to go in to enter deep or, we, or, or maybe we had a broken relationship from you know, a parental standpoint, whatever, so everything is about being criticized and judged. And so we do that when we start rationalizing God. So it's like, I don't want to bring my mess to you, right? But God is like, I want closeness with you. And what's keeping us from closeness is some of the baggage that you have inside, and I want to deal with it. So that's the journey we're on, right? Like doing, through, through the week, and some, some of you parents in here might do this also. I literally, like when I'm doing, during the week, I'm like, and I'm thinking through my task list, sometimes I'm thinking like, what can I do when I get home to be closer with my kids? Like what can I, like, like what conversation can I have? What can I do to draw deeper? Does anybody ever think like that at all? Y'all must not be as bad as me. I'm trying to like, I'm trying to figure it out. You know what I'm saying? And so, but I do that. And God is like, like that a million times more. He just wants to get close with us, right? So this book stages um, emotional healthy spirituality it hits this thing and it kind of goes through stages of faith on the Christian walk, right? As we walk with Christ, these different stages that happen. Um, and I'm gonna read them to you in a description on them, but I think it's uh, an encouraging thing to hear. And the reason I think it's encouraging is because I don't think I've ever heard anybody kind of give me like, what is your walk with God like? Like what are the different seasons you end up, you, you up kind of walking through? And I don't know if you like me or whatever, but like, I hate when I'm like driving with somebody going somewhere and I don't know where we're actually going, but then they go, they know where we're going and they're like, yo, it's just up the street. But I'm like, what's up the street? You know what I'm saying? And like, you know, and I'm like, just tell me where it's at. Just go flash the map in front of me real quick. Just, I just need something, right? But like, I'm, I'm gonna read these things out loud to you about the stages of faith we walk, we walk through as we come into relationship with Christ. And, 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 and so you don't have to say out loud or whatever, but like, analyze a little bit. When you hear it, like, yo, let me figure out where I'm kind of at with this thing, right? And it's all, this is all a beautiful process, but where are you at? So stage one, life-changing awareness of God. So this is salvation. Like this stage, whether in childhood or adulthood, is the beginning of our journey with Christ as we become aware of this reality. We realize our need for mercy and begin our relationship with him. Stage two, discipleship. This stage is characterized by leaning about, excuse me, by learning about God and what it means to be a follower of Christ. We become part of a Christian community and begin to get rooted in the disciplines of faith. Stage three, the active life. This is described as the doing stage. We get involved actively working for God, serving him and his people. We take responsibility by bringing our unique talents and gifts to serve Christ and others. Y'all identifying with these so far, some of them? 
Come on, man, say something, man. Coffee must not have been strong enough this morning. Number four is where we're at on this, on this sermon, the wall and the journey inward. Notice that the wall and the inward journey are closely related. The wall drives us into an inward journey. In some cases, people feel compelled to move into an inward journey that eventually leads them to the wall, which I'll, I'll explain all of this stuff later. Um, and it, it's, it's basically usually brought forth by a crisis where you hit this moment. Stage five is the journey outward. Having passed through the crisis of work necessary to go through the wall, we begin once again to move outward to do for God. Um, we may do some of the same active external things we did before, like leadership, serve, etc. Um, the difference is that now we give out of a new grounded center of ourselves in God. And stage six is transformed by love, God's goal in the language of John Wesley's, that we be made perfect in love, that Christ's love becomes our love, both towards God and others. We realize love truly is the beginning and the end. By this stage, the perfect love of God has driven out all fear, and the whole of our spiritual lives is finally about surrender and obedience to God's perfect will. Do you ever, you ever like, I don't know, been counseled by somebody who's been like walking in the faith like longer than you, and you just like envy, like whatever that thing is on them? You know what I'm talking about? Like, you get like worked up about something, but then you go to them and they're so calm, like they got this crazy trust in God where it's like, you're like, why aren't you shook by this? And it's, and it's almost like the God that y'all believe in is a little bit different. Like their God is a lot bigger than yours because you're like, hey, look, the wheel's about to fall off. We, this is a state of emergency. And they're just like, let's pray. <laughs> you know, let's pray, open up their desks. We're like, let's have communion together. And let's take it before the Lord. And they be like, I need you to take me to the bank right now and cut a check and talk to J.A. You know what I'm saying? And so they just got this whole other thing or whatever. And then if you, like, listen to them, because you usually just leave mad or whatever, and you're like, all right, they're crazy. And then, sure enough, God just shows his faithfulness. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I didn't have a lot of situations like that. But, like, I'm like, man, I want to be like that. I want, I want, the God, I want, I want God to be big to me like that. I don't want every time Satan wants to kind of play with my emotions, I fall to pieces, unravel, right? And God is just small in me. So it's like, oh my God, my money's a little tight, but he gets tiny, like he can't deal with it. So I have to come up with some type of Houdini stuff. You feel me? So let's talk about stage four where we're at, the wall and the journey inward, right? And it's important for us to know this isn't a one-time event. This like, like dealing with this wall and this thing that we hit. It's not it's something you experience throughout your life, but like, what is it? It's brought forth by a crisis, right? It could be a divorce, a lost job, you know, um, a desire for marriage or children that goes unfilled. It could be church hurt. But the outcome is like you hit a point in your walk where you just become disoriented, where it's like, you know, you maybe feel like you're moving and grooving with God and everything's good, but then something happens and it's one of those things that makes you kind of step back and you're like, hold on, God, I, I didn't know, this wasn't part of the deal right here. Like, I, I thought... You, you subconsciously have made a deal with God where you're like, I thought you were going to keep all of this off my back because I'm walking with you, right? Even though you would say that's not the right way to walk with God, but in your heart, you kind of did and you hit these walls that shake you. You get where I'm coming from? Can't seem to hear God. Our old tactics, we kind of employ when things get hard and we just press through in the name of Jesus like the press through ain't working no more. That's the wall that we're talking about. I have a friend or whatever that not too long ago, he ended, up, um, he ended up leaving his old church, and he had been there for years. I always thought it was an unhealthy church, 
and he finally left the church. And then when he came to me, he said, um, he was like, bro, why didn't you tell me? I was like, tell you we're in a cult? I was like, I told you 50 times and you always protected the cult. You know what I'm saying? And he's just like, he's like, and he was just like really, really hurt. But he was, he had hit a wall. He, 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 he hit a wall. He did not know what else to functionally do anymore. And hitting that wall was so hard for him because he had so many tactics to protect what he had been in for so long that even talking to me and letting me know how vulnerable he felt in the moment was a hard, hard thing for him to actually do. He was definitely at a wall, right? I hit a wall earlier this year. I had a couple friends die back to back to back, right? And I'm not gonna lie to you, my thing I was asking God was, how in the world did you let this happen? I didn't even wanna ask it in my self-righteous self, but I was at a wall. I, I, I was, how could you let this happen? That's all I could say, just that's where my hurt went, right? St. John of the Cross phrases the wall as the dark night of the soul. And he says that the dark night of the soul is what God sends to us to actually free us. He lists seven deadly sins that people need to be set free from. I'm going to read them to you. Y'all ready? <laughs> if, if, if it's you, don't say nothing. Just keep it to yourself. And, you know? And if you're married, don't look at your spouse in front of everybody. Like, don't be like, You listening? I had just told you that this morning doing break. Don't do that, all right? Have mercy on them this morning. And my wife, don't look over me either. Just keep, just keep your head down. I already, I already looked at this list already. There's a couple on here that's a little hot, hot topic on mine, all right? So he says pride. Hold on, and be, let, me, let me, before we go into this, remember that we're talking about this journey we're in, right? And remember that Jesus Christ's blood covers you, so you're able to actually walk in the light. Like we know inside of John it says, if you say that you don't sin, you're actually a liar. And he says, but if you're willing to walk in the light, that I will free you, and like the blood of Jesus is sufficient to cover all your sins. So we have freedom to be utterly guilty of every single one of these. That's one of the beautiful things that we as believers have. You can be guilty, and it's perfectly fine. The love of Christ still is what it is, still covers us. He wants us close, so he wants to get the junk out of the way, right? So pride. They have a tendency to condemn others and become impatient with their faults. They're very selective in who can teach them. Um, avarice, I believe that's how you say that word. It's basically an extreme greed for wealth or material gain. It says they are discontent with the spirituality God gives them. They are always reading books rather than growing in poverty of spirit. Y'all catch that? You know people like that? They are discontent with the spirituality God gives them. They are always reading books rather than growing in poverty of spirit. So if, let, me, let me give you an idea of it. It's saying that God in himself is not enough to be in awe of. The fact that his blood covers our sin and removes our iniquity, right? That's not the, that, that, that becomes a small point in this person's kind of deal. But they're always reading books, getting puffed up in knowledge, but very... Um, very much in the kiddie pool when it comes to poverty of their spirit, right? You can think Beatitudes, right? Like a poor and contrite heart. Or blessed is the poor, right? So God looks for a broken, broken heart. 
So it's kind of a loftiness from an academic standpoint, but misses the poverty of spirit. Luxury. They take more pleasure in spiritual gifts than God himself. Wrath. They are easily irritated, lacking sweetness, and cannot wait on God. Spiritual gluttony. They resist the cross and choose pleasures like children. It's pumping the brakes on the journey to just deal with the pleasures but not come before the cross because it exposes us, right? Spiritual envy. They, the, they, they, all right, it was mistyped. They feel unhappy when others do well spiritually. They are always comparing themselves to others. Sloth. They run from that which is hard, aiming only at spiritual sweetness and good feelings. That's my list. We made it through it. Everybody's extra silent. There's so many on this list right now that I could just cop to right now, but I'm not going to. All right? But the dark night of the soul is a refinery that purges us from these sins. In chapter 2 of this book, it said, um, it said it's critical that we pay attention to our emotions. And that dark night that we go through is for the purpose of keeping us from worshiping our emotions. Do you identify with that statement at all? Like when I say like I did like worshiping your emotions? Can you, can you, like, can you, like, we end up worshiping our emotions and making them a part of our identity. So my wife has always told me, she's like, why are you so crazy when it comes to disrespect? I feel like in my mind, I've gotten better than this. But she's just like, like if I feel like somebody's disrespect me or whatever, I'm like, no, we're going to stop the car in the middle of the highway on 95 and deal with it right now. She's like, you are insane and you don't. I'm like, nah, nah, nah. I just want to talk to the brother real quick. I just want to have a conversation. And she's like, yo, you need to chill out, right? But like for so many years, that's, that would be a part of my identity that I would actually tell people like, yo, think about me. I don't t play disrespect. Like I don't do that at all. Like we can just do, take it, whatever. Like I actually boast, of, boast about it. I made it an, 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 a thing that was a part of me. But underneath it is really some emotional junk that's not dealt with. That's the real truth. Really, there's a broken person in there doing whatever they can to fight and keep from actually looking in the mirror and going deep. Does anybody have things like that? Do you know what I'm talking about? So it's a false self. It's not, it's, not, it's not the truth. But the thing is that the gospel wants to, like, deal with that thing. But, like, we've, we've been, like, walking in these things so long, we've actually made it to where, like, you know, we're like, this is us. My wife the other day, we were talking about this, and she said, it's like having a monster that's doing damage living in your house, but you've actually made friends with the monster. You get where I'm coming from? Like emotionally, things are just a wreck. Like they've, they, they've been in your family like a, like, a, like a crazy auntie or uncle for mad years just doing what they do. And then now they're in your house, and then they're gonna go into your kid's house, the effect of them, right? the temper tantrums, the anger, the strife, the, oh, you made me mad, so I'm going to punish you for a couple of days or whatever and not deal with you. You get where I'm coming from? 
and, 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 and it's a mess, but like sometimes we don't know how this thing is actually traveled. And it's just like, it's just what it is. And we've accepted it. But God is like, your emotions aren't evil. He gave them to us. He experienced them. Anger, grief, sorrow, all of them. But they are opportunity to draw close to him. Do we can handle them the wrong way or wrong way, or we can handle them the right way? Y'all get where I'm coming from? St. John knew the human tendency to become attached to feelings and about God, mistaking them for God himself. These sensations, rich, are empty and not God himself, but only messengers of God that speak to us about him, right? So they're not meant for you to make them your identity. Your emotions aren't God. They aren't just who you are, right? The things God is sending you signals about, either it's healthy or it's unhealthy. If it's not drawing you towards the Father or in deeper need of Him, then they're probably not healthy, right? Like, I saw somebody post a, um, put a post on Facebook the other day, and it was the post. They're like, what do you think? This is going to strike a nerve with some people. They're like, you know, what is your take on the Scripture about turning the other cheek? And so, you know, it's in the Word. Like, you know, <laughs> hit the cheek, you turn the other cheek. But people's response, I didn't say nothing. I was like, I'm going to just, I ain't messing with it, all right? Because it does all type of stuff. It makes me have to go too deep to work through it, right? But some people were like, ain't no way in the world, and I love the Lord. I'm turning any cheeks, whatever. Like, they're like, I'm breaking, you know, like, they're just people are going in. But it's like, and I'm like, I get them, because I'm not better than that. But at the same time, I'm like, our identity, our emotional responses we've elevated over what God says. Like we don't trust that God is sovereign and that he's big. We don't trust his process. We don't trust the way he works. Y'all get where I'm coming from? James 1, uh, start with two through four, I'm gonna read this to you. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The full effect of steadfastness will always bring you to a wall. If you are willing to stay steadfast in anything, it's going to probably bring you to a wall at some point in your walk with God. It's going to bring you to a wall. And the good news is that you don't have to stay stuck there, right? Because God has an answer for it. Let's talk about what we do instead of journeying through the wall. Like what kind of tactics do we employ or whatever? I'm trying to make sure y'all, when we leave here today, you get this in a very real way as you process throughout the week. So we've learned to worship past it, right? I've, I did that for the longest or whatever. Like I have anything going on, I'm like, I'm just gonna worship and just lay before the Lord. And I think, and I'm not saying that any of these things are bad. I think that it is a supplement in the process as well, but I still would never deal with what's actually the problem. I would never deal with the elephant in the room. Anybody identify with that? I was just like, I'm just going to worship the Lord. And it, it, just, it was helpful, but it still left the elephant in the room at the end of the day, right? Or we come up with our Christian phrases, which may still be good, but we just say, God is good. Boy, if y'all missed that one, boy, we in trouble. <laughs> Shutting it down. We just have phrases. We just proclaim it, and we keep on moving. And the Word of God is actually powerful or whatever, and we do need to speak it over our things or whatever. But the Word of God still wants, God still calls us to deal with what's going on underneath, right? 
or we hold it all in with a smile so we can be an example for the weaker believers because, of course, strong Christians don't let their emotions get the best of them. That's, that's, that's what I often encounter is actually the culture of a lot of churches. We just keep the smile up. Strong Christians is what they do, but we don't deal with what's actually underneath the surface. We, we maintain the conversations becomes about the way it looks and not the actual problem. So we actually are doing like PR maintenance instead of dealing with the real issue and the truth. AKA politics. All right. That is politics. Politics, a bunch of ticks. Anyway, I can keep going all day. I'm going to stop. Anyway. But how do emotionally healthy believers actually, what, what are some of the things they actually proclaim? I am bewildered. This is a mystery. I am angry. I feel betrayed. I'm very sad right now. I don't know what God is doing right now. I am not sure what is right and wrong at the moment. I don't know where to come or go. How many people get hurt? I actually was with, I met a, a lady in a coffee shop yesterday. And we talked for a long time. She wasn't a believer, had been raised in church, left out of the church, um, and had a lot of ideas and beliefs that I personally didn't append, agree with, whatever. But we like talked. It was a really good conversation. Um, and... One of the things she said was she was talking about how when she was young and she had questions, how people in, in her churches always tried to answer the questions, but they didn't know what they were talking about. Like, and we just, we discussed how it would have been helpful for them to just say, I actually don't know the answer to that. And I'll, you know, we can research it together. Let's look for the answer. Like, we, like, I see, like, believers in debates all the time, and we're, like, and we're talking about stuff. People start talking about, like, just crazy stuff, and they're, like, well, actually, and I'm, like, shut up. You don't know. You know, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> start taking scriptures all out of context and stuff or whatever just to, like, have a response, and I'm, like, you know, our faith is not based on us knowing every single thing. It just simply isn't. Like, you can actually say, I don't know. It's okay to say, like, God, I'm sad right now, and I want you to enter into this moment with me and help me walk through this. Sometimes I preach on a Sunday and go home and crazy depressed. I have a whole bunch of preacher friends that, that, that they deal with the same thing, and it just is what it is. I can't explain it to you completely, but I know that God is with us. I know that this word is good and it's still true no matter how I feel about it emotionally, but I invite God into that. God, how do I process this? What, is this an attack from the enemy? I'm bewildered sometimes. I just have to ask the Lord, like, what is this? But, but God wants honesty. Do you, see how, do you see how that works? Where I'm in that moment and I could say, I could just come up with something about it or just whatever, but that doesn't invite God in. But me walking in the light going, God, I'm angry. I'm frustrated. Somebody said something that hurt me today. And it gives me an opportunity to invite God into that moment. Do you understand where I'm coming from? But instead, we like walk around like misusing scriptures like, I'm an overcomer. <laughs> they spit in my face, but I'm an overcomer. And like, you know, I'm like, no, man, you should be mad or whatever. Like there's a goober like dipping down your whole joint. It looks like a bang or whatever. Like you should deal with that. 
It's okay to deal with that. We should walk in the light and just be like, God, I'm not feeling this and I want to choke somebody. I need you to help me. Enter into this moment with me right now. Walk me through this, right? Because my thing says don't. I'm feeling like cheek for cheek. Yeah, I know your word doesn't say that. Help me in the middle of this. These walls call us into a place where we're like, the only thing we have to say is, God, I need you, right? It it makes us needy. It brings us to a contrite, broken place. Or it puts us towards power and control. We see this a million times. We saw it during the Reformation with the church, with with trying to control, right? We've, We've seen systems of power work on the narrative and do damage control instead of truth and walking in the light, right? And our stuckness in this moment is very much attached to us not believing that God is actually big, right? I want you to think about, like, Judas Iscariot for a minute, right? Even with Paul, no, excuse me, not Paul, with Peter as well. When you look at their stories, you had both of them where they had moments where they got stuck behind a wall, right? The wall being this. So for Judas, Judas could not grasp what Jesus was up to, right? He's rolling with Jesus. We can't say that his heart wasn't really with him, you know what I mean? He had left a whole lot to follow him. But Jesus had this plan involved Jesus being completely beat to smithereens to the point of death, and he couldn't grasp it. Even when he told Peter, and he told him, get behind me, Satan, it's because Jesus was telling him, like, listen, they're going to take me. It's going to get ugly. And Peter's like, nah, homie, what are you talking about? Because Peter's like, yo, you're the king of kings, lord of lords. We about to run this whole thing. Peter's already got it set up. He's like, I'm your right-hand man. I got the sword. We read, he had this whole thing in place. He had written this script. And then Jesus is like, nah, it's not going to go like that. And he hit a wall. You understand where I'm coming from? He hit the wall. Judas hits the wall. He hit it so hard, he bounced off and ran the other way. Matter of fact, he tried to, he jumped ship, and then he tried to actually sell the whole ship. But he hit a wall. Are you getting the idea of this wall I'm talking about? They hit hit a point where they couldn't deal anymore, where it shook their faith so hard, and they didn't know how to go through. They didn't know how to walk through the light and actually deal with it. Peter, on the other hand, after he denies the Lord, he left and he was broken. And he didn't leave his community neither. Because when Jesus showed up, where's Peter, the traitor, at? He's still rocking with the church and the body. With this hurt, probably in a corner somewhere looking crazy or whatever. But Jesus shows up and he's like, I'm back, homie. And I'm looking straight for Peter. Do you get where I'm coming from? You know how many times I watch people leave the church when they're going through trials in their life. And all they can actually see are the trials they're going through. And I'm looking at them and I'm like, yeah, I know the waves are hitting you crazy, but I'm seeing God doing amazing things with them. But for them, they've hit a wall. And hitting walls means run for them. But I'm like, God actually has you like at the top of an amazing moment in your walk. Like, trust him. Push through. Walk in the light about what you're dealing with right now. Don't run. But it doesn't always work out like that. We serve an omnipresent God, right? He's everywhere. 
so we never get stuck in the moment. He's not stuck in time. He's, he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. So it means we don't have to know everything because our Father knows everything and he's for us. I'll say amen to that if you want to. He's omnipotent, meaning he's all-powerful. It means that it doesn't matter what the, what the deck looks like. If it's stacked against you crazy, God is bigger than whatever you're dealing with. Government, no, it doesn't matter what it is. He's bigger, right? So our faith in God takes the playing field and makes everything different. It flips it upside down in our favor all the time, right? But when, in, when we don't trust him and it gets small, it's an emotional roller coaster, right? So I'm going to close this up with these. And I'm going to move through them a little bit quick. Um, what does it look like when you're making progress through the wall? How can you know that you are growing as a believer and making progress through these things that want to stop you? One of them is a greater level of brokenness, right? The opposite of brokenness is that we criticize, right? Big churches talk about small churches, small churches talk about big churches, people, whatever, backbite, talk about each other. All these, we're always comparing ourselves, but like when we have a greater degree of brokenness, things are different than us, for us, right? Like you ever had a friend, you ever had a friend or whatever that like, they get on the diet and like they like, they lose like two pounds and then they start going in on you? You know what I mean? And they just be like, listen, you know my struggle, you know what I'm saying, what I've been through and I'm just telling you, you shouldn't be eating that. You know, and it's like, they have no humility whatsoever in it and you like, yo, it's only been like you just ate good during lunch. That's it. You know what I'm saying? You know, but they have no humility. There's no brokenness in their heart. They're not like God. You know, thank you, God, for putting me on this journey or whatever. I finally, my mind is I'm going to try to stick through this or whatever. And they just like, and in your mind, you're like, yo, if I pull out this Cinnabon right now, it's over for you. So like, you know, you don't want to get at them, but you like, if I pull it out and I got the little cup with the extra glaze, you know, you know that cup? If you pull that center button out and just dip it in front of them, you just look at them, they, it's over. You know, but you know what I'm talking about. One of the examples in the book, it talks about a person who swats down criticism and their disposition is, when they're criticized, is if you only knew how worse it really is. You feel me? Like, they're not moved, they're not, when people go at them, criticize them, it doesn't just break them to pieces. Because they're like, God's the blood of Jesus is sufficient, even in this moment when I'm just horrible, but I'm worse than you even believe, but I'm still loved, like their identity's based on what Jesus has done and not on what they do, right? So they're able to receive it, doesn't make them jump up. It's almost one of those things where it's like, man, you know, go sit in the back of the room. And they're like, fine, I'll sit anyway. I ain't even supposed to be in the room. You get where I'm coming from? When we forget about what God has done through us through Jesus, we get big-headed. I'm going to give you an example really quick. I love reading the scripture. You have heard it a million times. It's Luke 18, 9 through 14. It's the Pharisee and the tax collector. It says this, it says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one, one, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not, 
would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you this. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. But he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The tax collector may not be able to, to articulate his emotions well or his history of brokenness and everything else, but he's in the perfect starting place. He comes before God with a contrite, broken heart instead of his resume of how awesome he's supposed to be. Right? That resume never plays with God well. We're talking about the creator of the universe, a king to be worshipped. You're not going to ever walk in front of him with your resume. It's not going to play out. But he favors not a perfect person, not a person who could check off the boxes of being in right standing according to society, but a person who comes before the Lord in other truth. God, I'm broken. I am at a wall. I am a sinner and I need your help. Remember I was saying that it kills all of the different phrases and questions and just brings you to like, Lord, I need you. That's what it does. Let's talk about this. The last, the last part of that right there is um, in verse 14. He says, for everyone who exalts, exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So when we talk about humility, we're talking about like freedom from pride or arrogance. Like the, 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 uh, the dictionary says the quality of state of being humble, right? And you look at this thing right here, whatever, we're talking about ego and pride versus humility. Ego and pride versus humility. This person who's very lofty with their resume and they're full of pride and ego and then this other person who is humble, right? Humility always causes you to actually look very clearly at what's broken inside of you. And it puts you in that place where you you become grateful, you become thankful. God gets very big when you humble yourself. Marie, something else to you, it's Luke 7, 36. It says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, Weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisees had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money, money lender had two um, debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. 
You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. For he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That's a lot to read, but I just wanted to make the one point out of it. Like, look at her brokenness before the Lord. Look at her brokenness and look at her closeness as opposed to the other person who's judging, who has an assumption about the quality of where they're at with God, which is just simply false and not true, right? Humility is access to closeness with the Father, right? Number two, for how we qualify what it looks like to go through the wall, right? Through these hard places that try to separate us from God is a great appreciation for holy unknowing, right? I'm going to read you a quote. It says, it says, yes, God is everything revealed in Scripture, but also infinitely more. God is not an object that I can determine, master, possess, or command. And still I try somehow to use my clear ideas about God to give me power over him, to somehow possess him. Unconsciously, I make a deal with God that goes something like this. I obey and keep my part of the bargain. Now you bless me. Do not allow any serious suffering. Does anybody identify with that type of manipulation at all? It's like what I was saying earlier. When I went through the tragedy, I'm like, God, what are you doing? Why would you let this happen? We want to take them and, like, put them in our box and control them, right? But God is, like, so beyond anything we can other, ever imagine. And, like, that's something for us to have a holy reverence and fear for, but it's also something for us to have a peace about when we're convinced that he's for us and with us, which he proved by sending his own son to die for our sins, right? So we can be sure that he's actually for us. But, like, he's way bigger and better than we can even grasp or imagine. So a greater appreciation for the holy unknowing, right? That's kind of like the person I was talking about where I'm like, when you go for counseling and you're like, why don't you react? But that God is just big. It's not that they have an answer, but they know God is the answer and that he has the answer. He's the answer holder, right? Number three is a deeper ability to wait for God. It's an outgrowth of a greater brokenness and holy unknowing. It's a greater capacity to wait on the Lord. You read Hosea 12:6. it says, Therefore, return to your God, observe kindness and justice, and wait for your God continually. It's making a statement that God is actually so big, and we are broken to a place that we are willing to actually wait on him, and that is actually a safe for us. Even though the world is like, move, hurry up, press the gas, speed past God, and fix it, get it right, get it right, get it right. But it's like, no, God, you're sovereign. And we, our trust is in you, and we wait on you. Does that make sense? It doesn't have to happen right now. Psalms 37, 7 says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Saying the world is moving, the world has a pattern. And sometimes that pattern, especially with social media today, is always in your face like, we're out here getting it, we're out here doing it, and you need to keep up. 
and it says, press the gas and run instead of waiting on the Lord. Psalms 25.5 says, lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I will wait all day long. It's about reverence, about who we believe God is. Number four, and I'm going to end with this, is a greater detachment. It's a release from the anxiousness of things of the world. Do any of y'all ever, like, feel tortured by, like, everything that's happening outside of your home? Like, you have to keep up with it? Does anybody know that feeling? Like, sometimes I feel like everybody's at the it spot but me. And, 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 and that feeling sometimes gets so big, even though I'm in the, the most amazing place with, like, nine of my babies jumping on my head. It even that seemed like not a beautiful, amazing thing. Like, how crazy is that, right? But the, the, the movement and the pattern of the world, it's always trying to pull down what God makes beautiful. And it steals our peace. It makes it like you're not doing something, even though you're, like, doing something for your family. It makes, like, a job not be, like, it's not really a big deal, but I'm like, you're actually working and feeding your family. What more amazing thing could you actually be doing right now? but it makes you not content. It makes like God has failed you. And it's not the truth. First and foremost, he's given his son Jesus. He doesn't have to do anything else, right? That's where contentment starts right there with his son. Everything else is just beautiful. I'm going to read a piece of this really quick, and then we're going to close and pray with this. It's Philippians 2. It says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of even death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every, confess, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And verse 12 says this, says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling and disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I, that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I'm poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also shall be glad and rejoice with, uh, with me. Um, I'm going to close with this encouragement. So Paul, when he wrote this right here, when he's writing to the church, Paul is dreaming about 
the fruit of what Christ is going to bring to the people of God. Um, Paul is leading churches, planning churches, and he is dealing with all type of stuff. He's being attacked by the super apostles, as he says in the scripture, who are telling his people, you know, about like works-based, you know, ministry. They're, They're coming with their flashy things, and Paul is like, this is not the gospel. This is not what it's about. Um, and he's watching people looking to disrupt the church. And those people that are looking to disrupt the church, those super apostles are appealing to their emotions, right? It's, they're dealing with their frustrations in the church, frustrations in the community, and that is the hook they use to pull everybody out. It deals with their ungratefulness because it says, you know, God wants you to have it all. God is, God is going to give us everything. There's nothing he's going to withhold from us. But, like, we can't make that the basis of the gospel because there's people right now overseas and even in our own country and even in our own city who are sacrificing deal, great deals. They have cast off the idea of the good old life to see other people made whole, right? So Paul is, that's the gospel he's preaching. This one where he is pouring out his life as a drink offering for the faith and the wholeness of the people he's called to serve. But they're being, people are trying to lead him away with selling them another story. And so um, when we are talking about these things and like emotions, like we're not talking about self-help stuff. We're talking about the gospel, the gospel, the inner, the, 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 the spirit of God that lives inside of us that wants to deal with the things that are broken in us that make us bait for the enemy, right? The things that make our kids bait, that are broken, have been broken in our family and now want to be broken in our relationships going forward so the enemy can keep perpetuating what he's always done, Right? So when we are walking in the light and what God is doing right now, I want you to take it very big and not be nonchalant about it because I just feel like God has brought this to our church in this time because he's like, he's like switching the trajectory of so many things that are going to happen in our life and the people that we encounter. Y'all with me on that? All right, praise the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this day, Father. We thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, God. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Um, We thank you for slowing us down in this season, Father Lord, to go deeper and just be really, really real um, and deal, like look inside of our hearts and and to, all right, and uh, can y'all hear me? Am I still on the mic? Can y'all hear me? All right, I can't tell. Anyway, the, um, but we just praise you. We thank you for that, Lord, and um, we thank you for our church, God. Thank you for the people here. I thank you for the churches in this city. and all the people gathering around the world right now that are coming together to worship you, Father Lord. Um, our extended family is what they are. I pray, Father Lord, that you give us a, uh, a ferociousness in our heart about protecting what we call brothers and sisters in Christ. That we don't become nonchalant. We, we don't get to hang together all the time and do things together all the time. But what binds us is the blood of Jesus. Um, not how much time we get together and how much we do. So we just praise you and thank you that 
you are building something and you have built something that is beyond our comprehension. I pray, Father, Lord, that you would grace us with the humility to stand before you with fear and trembling. God, I pray for anybody in this room that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, Father, Lord, that they would take advantage of an opportunity to come pray as we do communion this morning, um, to pray with us or speak with us or let us just help them answer some questions they've had, Lord. So I thank you for drawing everybody here. I thank you for our church family. And we just praise you and lift you up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.